Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things in credit markets that caught our eye that we think you should know about. Look, we've all had an anxious week, one that was full of noise. Think of this as a bit of calm reflection. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, Amazon just issued $18.5 billion in debt, and the biggest question is why? The answer is actually quite straightforward. Two, inflation. The noise around this continues to build. We'll frame out the issue for you. Three, the Fed just released its semi-annual financial stability report. It's a good news, bad news story that you should know about. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. So Amazon made quite a splash this week by selling $18.5 billion in eight tranches on Monday. And the question that seemed to surface in markets was why? Why does Amazon, with its market capitalization of $1.6 trillion, with a T, need to raise $18.5 billion in the bond market? It's actually an easy one to answer because it's the right thing to do for shareholders. As we often say, managements need to be mindful of stakeholders, but they work for shareholders. To not take advantage of these best-in-a-generation financial conditions would be negligent. Use of proceeds in this case is overwhelmingly sensible. Invest in future growth, pay down more expensive debt, and buy back shares, among other things. And we have no problem with any of that. After all, constructing a capital structure that is appropriate for a firm's business mix and risk profile is management's responsibility, as is communicating the rationale underpinning its capital structure choices to the markets, both debt and equity. And let's be clear about capital return to shareholders. Sometimes, as a creditor, it can be in your best interest to have management's return capital to shareholders. Wait a minute, aren't credit analysts supposed to loathe capital return? After all, that's my protection. Well, if you're generating the kind of cash that Amazon is, you should be perfectly fine, if not relieved, to see management buy back shares, assuming there is nothing better to do with its truly excess cash. The alternative, management feeling compelled to go out and do something with its cash, such as an acquisition or diversify into another business line, is oftentimes suboptimal, regardless of whether you are a shareholder or bondholder as such a strategy introduces additional risk into the equation. It could also be risky to sit on a pile of cash, which results in lower returns and increased vulnerability to event risk. Now, that is clearly not Amazon's problem given its size, but it is worth keeping in mind for those firms not quite so gigantic. The point is we believe the best scenario for creditors comes from management teams that are thoughtful, consistent, and disciplined around their capital structure decisions. Increasing leverage is not always bad for creditors. All right, on to our second thing, inflation. Now, I really hadn't planned on talking about inflation this week, but market volatility and investor interest forced our hand. Now I'm gonna start by quoting the chief US economist at Citigroup, who said a few weeks ago, and I quote, one thing I've learned is to have humility. Inflation is just something economists do not understand well, unquote. I love humility. Here's another flash of the blindingly obvious from the White House Council of Economic Advisors 
earlier this week, reacting to the 0.9% month-over-month jump in core CPI, recovery from the pandemic will not be linear. It's actually a useful reminder to those, and you know who you are, that thought that the return to normal was as simple as flipping a switch. Well, here are the key elements in the inflation story as we see it. One, pandemic and stimulus are blunt forces constantly reshaping the economy. Two events turbocharged recovery and growth. Pfizer Day back in November, which de-risked the pandemic, and the Georgia Senate elections, which paved the way for even larger stimulus to eventually overwhelm the hole in the economy. Two, you cannot flip a switch and go back to normal. First of all, normal is going to be different. And secondly, accelerating growth with much larger than ever contemplated stimulus is going to pressure supply of productive factors, commodities and labor, especially when supply chains were dialed back for most of 2020. The resultant demand is going to exceed supply and its unfolding will not be elegant. Three, we have long held a non-consensus view that there is a cost, a drag on economic output to this non-linear recovery. Now we've talked about the prospect of margin pressure. We've talked about the weakness in the labor market and the mismatch between skills and demand versus skills available. We've talked about the technological pull forward that will impact many aspects of how we live and how we work highlighting the cost of that adjustment. We've not moved off our view that 2021 is still likely to be a year of historically strong economic growth in the U.S. It's just not likely to be as strong in our opinion as the more bullish forecasts out there, and investors will have to come to grips with the inevitable deceleration that will happen post-Q2 as the effects of stimulus wear off. And four, political risks are rising. The $4 trillion of proposed stimulus is increasingly at risk as Republicans see a path toward flipping the House in 2022 and are determined not to give Democrats the ability to bask in the glow of all of that largesse. Now, what are markets telling us? While both equities and credit valuations are stretched by historical standards, expect a divergence between the two in terms of volatility as equities are more sensitive to news flow. From a credit perspective, we expect spreads to hold in comparatively well based on the still strong outlook for growth and highly favorable financial conditions. The latter, a function of massive liquidity, which is so important to off-the-run, high-yield, and private credit markets, and an implicit central bank backstop. As for inflation, we are in the transitory camp. We believe it will take two quarters at a minimum for some of these markets to correct, At the end of the day, we believe capitalism will do what capitalism is supposed to do, funnel resources to its most productive and most lucrative use. Deflationary forces, both cyclical, labor and capacity utilization, and secular, technology and globalization, remain powerful headwinds to price pressures that are expected in the restart. Keep in mind that annualized economic growth is expected to be cut by more than half over the next year, according to the Bloomberg consensus forecast, from 8.1% in the current quarter to 3.7% in Q1 2022. That's not going to feel very inflationary. Remember, prices are jumping off of pandemic lows. 
As activity increases, we expect the rebound in competition to do its thing, moderate excess profits. Now, market measures are well-behaved. Cleveland Fed five-year expected inflation is 1.48%, and the five-year break-evens in the tip market is currently 2.7%. What about the Fed's perspective and response? Well, we expect the Fed to remain steadfast in its commitment to allow inflation to run a bit hot while focusing on their top priority, reducing unemployment across all strata of the working age population. The U6 underemployment rate, the labor participation and employee population rates all show much wood to chop before we approach full employment. With labor costs approximately 70% of production costs, this is where the Fed's attention is focused, less so on commodities prices that are vulnerable to speculative distortion. Now, built into the Fed's expectations are views that the data will be noisy and most price pressure will be transitory in nature. We would agree. All right, on to our third thing, the Fed's newly updated financial stability report. This twice yearly report provides an assessment of the resilience of the U.S. financial system. This is all about identifying vulnerabilities to the flow of credit, which when impeded can lead to, in the Fed's words, high unemployment and great financial hardship. Eesh, sounds like that is something we want to avoid. Now the report monitors four broad categories, valuation pressures, borrowing by businesses and households, leverage within the financial system and funding risks in the financial system. In addition, it identifies near-term risks to those categories. So what is the Fed worried about? Plenty, it turns out. The irony, of course, is that much of the central bank's concerns are centered on frothy asset valuations and speculation, two things that, no doubt, the Fed's ultra-low interest rate policy is contributing significantly to. In combing through this report nearly 80 pages, we came up with the following tidbit. High asset valuations relative to the general level of interest rates and the income flows generated by different types of assets suggest investors require less compensation for the risks they are taking and thus have elevated appetite for or willingness to invest in risky assets. Indeed, excess bond premium, the component of corporate bond yields that is not explained by risk-free rates or default risk, is the lowest recorded in recent decades, indicating high-risk appetite on the part of investors. Valuations for some assets are elevated relative to historical norms, even when using measures that account for treasury yields. In this setting, asset prices may be vulnerable to significant declines should risk appetite fall. The leverage of some non-bank financial institutions, such as life insurance companies, and some hedge funds is high, exposing them to sharp drops to in-asset prices and funding risks. Furthermore, prime money market funds, as well as bond and bank loan mutual funds, are vulnerable to funding strains and sudden redemptions. Disruptions caused by the pandemic continue to make it difficult to assess valuations in the commercial real estate sector, but valuation pressures appear to remain high. All right, but it's not all in gloom and doom. Consider the following. Vulnerabilities from business and household debt have continued to fall since the November report, reflecting continued government support. 
Vulnerabilities arising from household debt are modest. Household borrowing has remained heavily concentrated among borrowers with high credit scores. Government actions taken in response to the pandemic have provided significant support to household balance sheets and incomes. And vulnerabilities from business debt are mitigated to some degree by low interest rates. Recovering earnings has boosted the interest coverage ratio for the median firm to near its historical median. Expected bond defaults have continued to decline and are now below their long-run medians. All right, the Fed also conducts a survey as part of this report and asks respondents to cite potential shocks over the next 12 to 18 months. Topping the list, vaccine-resistant variants. 60% of respondents cited it as a potential shock over the next 12 to 18 months. Second on the list, sharp rise in rates, 50%. And third on the list, inflation surge at 43%. So what were the bottom three? Commercial real estate, where only 13% of respondents thought it was going to be a potential shock to the financial system over the next 12 to 18 months. Also down toward the bottom, bank asset quality, also at 13%, and emerging market stress at just 16%. So there you have it, three things in credit. One, Amazon's $18.5 billion debt deal is a sensible adjustment to its appropriate capital structure, something creditors should not be spooked by. Two, inflation. Expect the noise around this story to continue to build over the course of the year, along with volatility in equity markets. As this story plays out, we continue to believe this is not a serious threat to credit markets. And three, the Fed just released its semi-annual financial stability report on balance. Risks are under control. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for the latest rating reports and research. See you next week.